Father, we come to your word, we come to the study of your word, the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. And Lord, as we have set our hearts and our minds upon Christ, who was conceived in the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, and was born into this world that he himself made, Lord, would you amaze us afresh? Would you amaze us with the reality that God has come into the world to save us? We thank you for such rich and wonderful truth that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of again and again and again. Speak through your servant, as I preach the word, and Holy Spirit, will you grant illumination to all of us and enable us to hear the word for our benefit and to apply it specifically and practically to our lives, to be more conformed to the image of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Let's turn to First Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and as you came in, there are outlines on the back for you to follow along, as we typically do on Wednesday night. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, I'm, I'm going to read just one verse, only one verse, and I bet you'll have this memorized, if you don't already, by the time we are finished this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, here is the word of the Lord. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. The story is told of a grandmother who went to church with her young granddaughter. She took her granddaughter to church one Sunday, and this young girl, this granddaughter, had her dress on. And she had a full breakfast with bacon and eggs and sausage and orange juice and everything this young girl wanted. And they arrived early to church, and she had her big, colorful Bible in her hand. This young girl was so excited because she was going to big church for the very first time. And she takes it all in. I mean, she is glued in to the music and the reading of the Bible and the preaching of the word. And she's looking around and she's watching the people of God as they worship the Lord and look into the scriptures during the sermon. And then the pastor goes to the pulpit for the pastoral prayer. And during the pastoral prayer, he is thanking and worshiping the Lord for his, for his love and for his grace. And he's acknowledging the holiness of God. And, and then the pastor is praying and he says, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. And the young girl's eyes got really big. And she tugged on her grandma's dress. And the little girl said, Grandma! We're going to get presents in church today. God is going to give us presents. Well, it's true. God does give a present. 
He does give a present. It is a gift. It is a great gift. It is an undeserved gift. It is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, an indescribable gift. He gives the gift to sinners. That's good news for me and you. He gives the gift to sinners, and we're going to look at that gift today. And here's our text. It's found in 1 Timothy 1.15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Why did Jesus come into the world? It's a, it's a good, uh, an important, and an essential question to ask, and we need to have the right answer as well. Why did Jesus come into the world? Well, we certainly came to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 7 make that very clear, prophecies about his coming. Jesus had to come into the world to destroy the power of Satan, Genesis 3 tells us that he would crush the head of the serpent, and 1 John chapter 2 tells us that. Jesus had to come into the world to live our life, to relate to us. Hebrews 2 tells us that. Jesus had to come down from heaven into our world to die our death. Ezekiel 18 says the soul that sins will die. The wages of our sin is death. Jesus had to come into the world to become our propitiation. The wrath bearer in our place, as Romans 3 tells us. Jesus came into the world to remain the glorified God-man forever. As John chapter 17 tells us in the high priestly prayer. And today we come to 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, which is a reason why Jesus came into the world. I mean, it is explicitly told right here in our verse. This is the Christmas verse. This is the simple, clear reason for the season, if we put it like that. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy to his young disciple in the faith, Timothy, And in this book, Paul tells Timothy, it's in a pastoral letter, we call it, a pastoral letter. He tells him what a church is and what a church is to be and what a church is to do and how the people of God are to conduct themselves in the church and how God's people are to live in the context of the church. And right here in chapter 1, I love how the book begins. It's all about guarding sound doctrine at the beginning. And then Paul says, we are all about the primacy of love. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, the goal of our teaching is love. So after guarding sound doctrine and the goal of our message is love, then Paul says, I've got to tell you the power of this gospel. I've got to tell you the power of the love of Christ and the power of the salvation that is available to sinners. Martin Luther loved this verse. In fact, Martin Luther called 1 Timothy 1.15 my little Bible. Because it's the whole Bible in one verse. It's the whole purpose for why Jesus came into the world. It's the reason why we celebrate his birth. 
The Christmas truth of the incarnation is found in verse 15, that Jesus Christ came into the world. Now, notice with me just for a moment before we jump into the text here, the Bible does not say that Jesus came near the world. Nor does it say that he came up to the world. Nor does the text say that he came close to the world. Or that he just sort of hovered over the world. Nor does it say that he just merely spoke into the world. But he came into the world that he himself made. He came into the world that he himself created. As we think about a very familiar, but by the grace of God, may it be freshly received by all of us. As we come to a familiar truth about the incarnation of Christ, I want to show you two awesome wonders. Two awesome wonders. Nothing that I'm going to say is going to be new to you, but I pray that it will be fresh, a good reminder, a needed reminder this Christmas season. The first awesome wonder that I want to give you that derives right out of the text in verse 15 is I want you to see the intention. The intention. What, what is this all about? What is the goal? Why did God do this? Verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the intention. He came to save. It was yesterday. I was driving. Now, I was leaving Illinois, and I had to cross the river and come back here, and I was in a rush. I got stuck waiting for a train. I was waiting for a train, and it was a long wait. So finally, this train passed, and I I got past all of that, and I had to go to Walmart to pick something up very quickly. Walmart, this week. I had to go to Walmart before a snowstorm. So I go to Walmart, and the lines are down the aisle, and and then I had to get lunch, and I had to come back to church for sermon preparation, and I had an intention. I had a goal. I had a time that I wanted to be back in this building. I got frustrated because my plan didn't go according to my schedule. But God is not like that. God doesn't get frustrated. God's intentions always succeed, always. And when we read in verse 15 that Jesus Christ came into the world, why? What was the reason? What was the intention? He came to save sinners. That will succeed. It will succeed. It is the beautiful heart and soul of the Christian message. It reminds me of Luke 19, verse 10, when Jesus said, after the encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's like Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's like John 18, 37, for this reason I have come into the world to testify to the truth. What is the intention? What's the goal? What is Christmas all about? Answer, the purpose of the mission was to purchase sinners. 
The intent of the mission was to actually procure and accomplish and achieve salvation. God sent Jesus. Go. Go to earth. Go go to that planet that you created and redeem the sinners that I have given to you. And the Bible says in verse 15 that Christ Jesus came to the world. Let's talk about Christ Jesus for a minute. The word Christ speaks of the divinity of Christ. He is sent by God. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. And then the word Jesus is the idea of Joshua. It's the word Joshua. It means Yahweh saves. It's the humanity of Christ. He was sent for man. Because he is man, you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. What is the intention? Why did Christ Jesus come into the world? What I want to do in the next few minutes together with you is show you how the Trinity is involved in perfect unity, in perfect purpose, and in a perfect achievement in accomplishing the salvation for God's very own people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. In your outline, notice with me, the Father sent. The Father sent. Well, Jesus says this all over the Gospels. Mark 12, verse 6, speaks of the Father sending the beloved Son. Jesus tells that in the parable. Even the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, has sent me. Jesus said to the woman in Samaria, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5.30, I seek the will of him who sent me. I mean, ponder with me the, the amazing, amazing eavesdropping that you and I are having right now. It's like you and I are going back in time to eternity past, and you and I are listening to a conversation between the Father and the Son where the father would say something perhaps like this, my son, go. Go to that world. It's a sin-cursed world to helpless sinners. Go and redeem precious souls, precious souls, whom I have chosen long ago in eternity past. To be my own treasured possession forever. I want you to go and redeem them. I want you to go and save them. I want you to go and die for them. This is the mission of the Father sending the Son. But not only the Father sent the Son, but now in your outline, look second of all, that the Son saved. The Son saved. That's what our text says. Christ Jesus came into the world in order to save. First of all, in your outline, you see that it is an effectual salvation. When we talk about Jesus coming to save, it means that it was a success. It actually accomplished salvation. One man said that Christ's death was definite in its intent. When Jesus came into this world, he actually died to save a particular people. It was definite in its nature. His death really does atone for sin. 
This is what theologians call the definite atonement. The actual atonement, the particular, the perfect redemption of Christ. Why? Because it was actually accomplished at the cross. But it's not only an effectual salvation, also in your outline, it is a complete salvation. You don't want a Savior that's only going to give you 50% salvation. You don't want a Savior that's going to give you a 90% salvation. You don't want a partial salvation, a halfway salvation, a mostly salvation. You want a Savior that says, take me all the way. And he will do it in full. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of the definite atonement of Christ is that it means that he is the complete mediator for his people. He merits salvation and he applies it to his people. In other words, Jesus does the work and he delivers the work. He does the work on the cross and he actually delivers your soul forever because of what he does at the cross. Jesus did not die to just make you savable. He actually saved you forever at Calvary. Think of it like this. If you're going to cross a bridge, imagine there's a big valley below and it's a dangerous valley and and you're going to cross a bridge. You, You don't want a really wide bridge that goes partially across. That does you no good. You want a bridge that's going to go all the way across, even if it's more narrow. I want a bridge that's going to actually take me to the other side. I want a bridge that is going to bridge man with God completely. I need a bridge that's going to bring man to God savingly. I need a bridge that's going to bring man to God by achieving it fully for me. I don't want a partial bridge. I need the full, complete bridge. This is what Jesus did when he came to die. Jesus came into the world to save. Third in your outline, it's also a propitiated salvation. Well, what does that mean, a propitiated salvation? It means that when Jesus died, he actually received, he drank, he absorbed, he quenched the fury of God in full on the cross. It means that Jesus appeased The wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God. It means that the cup of God's anger, which is infinite and incalculable, Jesus took it, he drank it, and he said, it's done. And he turns the cup over and there's nothing left to pour out. Jesus propitiated. He satisfied the anger and the wrath of God. The text says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. It is also, fourth in your outline, an expiated salvation. Well, what does expiated mean? It means that your sin is erased. Boys and girls, in the lower level, there's that whiteboard with all the markers that you like to draw on that board. And you come with an eraser and you erase all of that. It erases all the things that were there. That's what expiation is. It is God erasing the sin of his people. 
It is God dealing with the sin of his people. It's like Galatians 1 verse 4. Jesus gave himself for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. When God looks at you, the sins are erased. Because Jesus paid for it in full. It is, fifth in your outline, a particular salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That means that Jesus paid a full salvation for only his particular elect. Jesus does not give a partial salvation for everybody in the world, but he gives a perfect salvation for only his elect sheep. He did not die a partial death for everyone to make man savable, but he died an actual death, an accomplished death, only for his elect sheep, and he saved them in full at the cross. And I want to remind you of that's the reason for the season. Christ came into the world. Why was he born? Why was he conceived in the Virgin Mary? Why was he born in Bethlehem and, and raised in Nazareth and then his ministry in Galilee? And why all of this work? Why all of that in order to actually save? The intention was to procure a perfect salvation for God's own bride. B.B. Warfield said the things that we have to choose between are an atonement of a high value or an atonement of a wide extension. Either it's a wide extension and he died for everybody to make people savable, or it is an atonement of high value, meaning it is an atonement where he pays the full price only for the few. But you can't have both. You can't have a high value and a wide extension. He died only for his own. Joel Beakey adds, he saved a definite number of people whom he refers to as his own, his sheep, his elect, and his bride. John Murray says, redemption does not mean redeemability. We are not placed in a redeemable position. Jesus did not die to make you redeemable so that you finish the deal when you believe. It means that when Jesus died, he actually procured, he secured your redemption. It is the triumphant note of the New Testament that Christ redeemed us to God by his blood. Jesus did not come to make our sins forgivable. He came to forgive our sins. He came to make purification of sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God, of the majesty on high. Jesus did not come to make God reconcilable, but he came to actually reconcile you to God. That's the beauty of the intention of the gospel. This is the the theme of the New Testament and of the Old Testament, speaking of the coming of the Messiah. 
This is what I'm preaching. This is what Paul says, that Jesus came to die for and save his own, not to half save them, not to make them savable, not to help people save themselves, not even to save them as they can finish the deal by their faith, but to save them wholly and effectually and perfectly by his own power at Calvary. That is the intention of the cross work of Christ. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the Father sent him to do. The Father sent, the Son saves. In your outline, third, the Spirit applies. Notice the interworking of the Trinity. The Spirit of God applies. I love how the, 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 the Bible teaches that all whom the Father elected, the Son redeemed. And now, in space and time, in your life, you come to faith as the Spirit of God gives life to all of those for whom Jesus died. He he awakens you. He regenerates you. He causes you to be born again. The Father's elect, the Son died for them. And the Spirit of God will regenerate all of God's elect. We ought to marvel at the working of the triune God. We, We ought to marvel at the election of God and at the redemption of Christ and in the regeneration of the Spirit of God. I mean, you and I can be astonished this Christmas season in the powerful love of our God. The powerful love of God. I mean, think of, think of this. Hear it again. He loved you. He loved you. He selected you. Christ came from heaven to earth for you out of love. He was born for you. He lived and suffered and died for you. Was buried for you. Was raised for you. What a love of our great God. And this mission of Christ, by the way, is not just some theoretical, abstract, theological Calvinism doctrine. No, this is practical. This is practical. Why? Because the intention of Christ to save, the the mission of Christ to save has the following applications. Let me just make it real practical. A couple. Number one, this ought to give you and me zeal in living for Christ. Why? He had zeal in living for you. Zeal in living for Christ. Second, it should also give you comfort in the uncertainties of life. Well, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what next week is going to bring. I don't know what 2023 is going to bring. But we know that Jesus has redeemed his people. This ought to give us reassurance in approaching hours of death. When those days come and death is drawing near, Christians can be reassured that Christ has actually paid the full price in procuring my salvation. This mission of Christ should also give you praise when everything around you fails. And this mission 
of Christ should give you gratitude in the full salvation. The full salvation that was achieved for you. And all of this bound up in the phrase in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save. He did it to save. He arrived in order to atone. What an intention. Hallelujah. What a savior. But it doesn't end there. The verse continues. This is number two, the invitation. The invitation. Paul goes on to say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't miss this. Among whom I am the foremost of all. I mean, ponder this for a minute. It's as if in eternity past, the father looked for the very best he could find. Christ. And the father gave him to the very worst he could find. You. And me. What an amazing God. And this phrase in verse 15 that he came to save even me, the foremost of sinners, Paul says. You know what this does? This evaporates every excuse that anybody could ever have. It absolutely takes away any excuse. There's no excuse to not come to Jesus. There's no reason to refuse him. I mean, nobody could ever say he is too great of a sinner to be saved. I mean, if if Paul is the chief of sinners, surely everybody else can be saved. If Paul is the ringleader, surely all the others can be saved. If Paul is the leader of the gang and he's saved, all the others can be saved. He's been washed in the blood of Christ. If he's in heaven, surely you and I can be in heaven. If, if an elephant can cross a bridge from danger to safety, then surely a small little child could cross that bridge as well from danger to safety. If Paul is the foremost sinner could pass from danger to safety. Surely the rest of us have that invitation available to us as well. He is the foremost. He is the chief. Paul feels as though he's the worst sinner. Paul feels as though he's the the preeminent sinner. There's no one like him. He is the first in order of degree. He is the highest sinner that ever lived. Can you say that? Can you take Paul's words and apply them and make them as your own? Christ came to save sinners, among whom I I feel like I'm the foremost of all. This is interesting. Paul is doing something. He's alluding to an earlier text in Luke. Luke 19, verse 10. Luke 19.10 is the context of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What an amazing parallel to take both of these scriptures together. Here's Paul writing 1 Timothy. Paul, he's a self-righteous religious guy. He thinks he's good. He thinks he's fine. Yes, he's a blasphemer of God, but it's because he thinks that he's 
religious. He thinks that he's doing God a favor by persecuting Christianity. But then you've got the other guy in Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Well, Zacchaeus is just a flat-out liar. He's a stealer. He's a godless robber. He's the worst of the worst. Both extreme. Jesus came for both. The self-righteous and the lying, stealing thief. And everything in the middle. He came for sinners. And I'm the foremost, Paul says. I mean, it it includes the unrighteous, the profane, the lawless, the transgressors. The worst of the worst. The poor, the blind, the wounded, the naked, the helpless, the hopeless, the distressed. I mean, the blasphemer, the persecutor, the self-righteous, the indifferent is invited, as it were, in this text to come because the worst has already come. I I think there's a mark of growing in godliness. And one of the marks of growing in godliness is not that you think, well, I'm doing quite well. Boy, I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing that I, I'm so thankful that the Lord chose me, and I, I see why he chose me. No, that's not a mark of godliness. A mark of godliness is you see more and more and more of your sin. Hopefully, as you're going in grace, you're sinning less. But even though you sin, you're seeing more of the motivations, more of the selfishness and the sinfulness that's there. Alexander McLaren said this, the more you become like Christ, he said this, the more you will find out your unlikeness to Christ. Isn't that good? Yes, we become more like Jesus Christ. And then that's what startles us all the more, is because we find out how unlike him we really are. I mean, you you and I can sing, and we can shout, and we can rejoice in this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me to him who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You're in First Timothy 1. Notice the context. Look at verse 14. I mean, notice the invitation of how wide and broad the invitation is to sinners. Verse 14, Paul says, the grace of the Lord was more than abundant. You know what I love about that phrase? This is super abundant grace toward helpless sinners. Super abundant grace. You're a big sinner. He has a greater grace. A greater grace. And then verse 14 tells us at the end, it comes with the faith and love which are found in Christ. You can be in Christ. You can be united to Christ. You can have that marriage to Christ forever. And then verse 16, look at this. Yet for this reason, I found mercy 
so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. What an amazing God that he saves sinners to magnify his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe. What a God. What an invitation. It really is the reason for the season. He came into the world to save, to procure, to accomplish salvation for all of his own. For all of his own. Christian, here tonight, you and I have infinite reasons because of verse 15 and all the things we've looked at to praise God who has given you the done deal of salvation. And if anyone's here and you're not a Christian, and you hear verse 15 and you think, well, that's an interesting Christmas verse right here, that he came into the world to save sinners. The call for you is the invitation to come. To come to Christ, O unbelieving sinner. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful will it be on that day for sinners when all of the gospel calls are over and all of the mercy of God has run dry and there's none left for you. And when the invitation and God's open arm that calls you to come is now pointing for you to depart. When the door of heaven is shut. What a dreadful day that would be for all unbelievers. For all unbelievers. And this verse is like like a call from God to all of us to to come. Even even sinner to come at once and to come happily. And even to come believingly to Christ and obediently and To hear the voice of God when he says, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. You can be born again right here tonight. You can be converted right here tonight. You can be transformed into a new kingdom right here tonight. You can truly know the reason for the season. Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. And, lest we end too quickly, look at the beginning of verse 15. This is where I skipped over quickly at the beginning for this purpose now. It is a trustworthy statement. You can surf all the headlines tomorrow on the news, and there's not going to be a whole lot of trustworthy statements. Deserving full acceptance. But this is it. And this is the first of five times this phrase will occur in the pastoral epistles. It is a statement of clear gospel truth that you need to know this. You need to embrace it. You need to believe it. You need to understand it without reservation, without hesitation, believe it without any doubt. This is God saying, believe it. Embrace it. Receive it. Know this to be true. This is the presence of God, the gift of God, the gospel of God that gives security, it gives comfort, 
It gives urgency and it gives clarity. But before we close, you say, you know, that's good theology and that's a a familiar message that we've heard for Christmas. but, But what applications are there? Here's a few. Do you struggle with being thankful? Or let's just put it negatively. Do you complain? Do you want to cultivate a heart of attitude? The answer is in our text. We need to pause frequently to remember our own experience in the gospel. Lord, you've saved me. Thank you. When we complain, we need to remember, I don't deserve any of this. I deserve the flames of God's wrath. Or another application, do do you want to love your wife more knowledgeably? Do you want to love your wife more sacrificially? What do we do? We look at the love of Christ in the gospel. Right here in verse 15. How did Jesus love us? And what did he go through in his love to save us? And what kind of suffering and injustice and hostility and shame did he go through in order to keep loving us? What an example of how a husband can sacrificially and knowledgeably love his own wife. A third application, do do you want to grow in working hard on the job? You want to shred laziness, and you want to live more for Christ. This verse has the answer for you. Because you need to remember how Jesus had you on his heart as he obeyed the Father, and he journeyed into the fires of divine wrath for you. Boy, it was a work, and it was a mission. And he he didn't run away. He didn't shy away. He didn't run the opposite direction. He worked hard. No laziness. And he lived his all for the glory of God. Do you want to fight pride and fight sadness and overcome discouragement in your life? Maybe you battle discouragement and you battle fear and all the related sins that perhaps may come with that. The answer for you is in this verse. To ponder the the saving and the secure grip that Jesus has on you because he purchased you. He owns you. You're his sheep. You're his bride. You're the elect of the Father. He owns you. He possesses you. That will help you to fight discouragement. Do you want more zeal for evangelism? Do you want more zeal to proclaim Christ? Ponder. Ponder, verse 15, how God decreed whom he would save. And then Jesus was sent to die for those. 
And then the Spirit of God will awaken them. And then the Bible says that God uses the word of the gospel that you and I speak to save the elect. What an amazing God. What a plan of redemption. What a great intention to save sinners and what a great invitation for all sinners to come. So verse 15, this is the verse for us. This is the verse for our Christmas season. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. I want to end by telling you about a man by the name of Thomas Bilney. Thomas Bilney, but he, many people didn't know him as Thomas Bilney. He was more well-known as Little Bilney. He was a very short guy, Little Bilney. He was born in the year 1495. He was a brilliant man, brilliant scholar, student, intellectual mind. And because he had such a scholarly bent, he went to Cambridge, studied law at Cambridge, and then began lecturing at the age of 25. But neither all of his studies nor his ordination brought him any peace in his heart. Oh, he had knowledge, but he had no peace. Little Bilney was discouraged, and he didn't know where to go, and he had no hope. And little Bilney, this brilliant man that he was, he opened up a Greek New Testament and a Latin New Testament. Only he could do that. And he began reading them both. Here's what he said. It's in your outline on the back. Bilney said, I came upon this sentence of St. Paul. Oh, it is the most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul in 1 Timothy 1. It is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the chief and the foremost. This one sentence through God's instruction and inward working did so exhilarate my heart being before wounded with the guilt of my sins and being almost in despair that when I read it, I mean, even immediately I seemed to feel a marvelous comfort and quietness insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. Well, little Billy, it didn't just end with his conversion when reading 1 Timothy 1.15. He became a central figure in a group of theologians that would meet together and discuss the word and discuss theology at what became known as the White Horse Inn in Cambridge. That was the group that essentially prepared for and paved the way for the Reformation in England in the 16th century. Well, it didn't take long before little Bill need to be sought out because he was a preacher of this gospel. He was only 32 years old. 
He went out to preach, and he went out to preach, and he was told to not preach, but he would preach even more. And then he was told by the Catholic authorities that he must recant, but he continued to preach. He couldn't contain himself. He had to preach. Well, then a few years after that, in his mid-30s, young little Bilney was again arrested and then tried and then burnt at the stake for heresy. But before he died, Thomas Vilney had led a man to the Lord. You probably know the name of this man. His name is Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was one of the most hunted men that Bloody Mary went after when she came to the throne in England. Hugh Latimer became one of the prominent preachers of the English Reformation before he was burnt at the stake by Bloody Mary. What made little Bilney and Hugh Latimer so bold in their faith? It's because these men never got over the reality that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. Of all. May that reality grip your heart and inflame you with joy and worship to God, love for the Savior, obedience to Him, that you would say, Lord, I give my all to you. All that I am, take it. All that I am. He gave all that He was for us. We ought to give all that we are for him. Father, thank you for your word and the time that we have had in study in such a precious and yet a simple verse. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and offered a perfect, effectual salvation only for the elect. Oh, we praise you. We thank you that we are not seeking to live a life in order to cooperate or to merit or to finish the deal in saving ourselves. But we have come to trust in you because you have forgiven us. You have died for us. You have cleansed us. And you have perfectly procured our salvation. All glory be to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.